Urban Science Podcast. Hi, I'm Emma And I'm Zoe Ingram. And we're broadcasting to you from Berlin. We were interested in getting some perspectives on open science outside of Europe. And we came across a blog about something called the Africa Archive. And that started us thinking about the uh, open access and open science uh, situation uh, in Africa and on the African continent. So we reached out to uh, several people and they were kind enough to join us. So today we're going to be talking to Joy Owango, who runs the training center in communication um, and is very heavily involved with open science in Africa. Joe Haverman, uh, who is a training uh, coordinator and the co-founder of uh, Africa Archive. And Osman Aldiri, who's the founder of Open Sudan and Spark Africa and is part of Force 11. Uh, but unfortunately, there were some technical difficulties and we were only able to use the audio from Joy. Um, but you can find the full interview with also the very interesting things they said uh, as a transcript. And we will also cover what they talked about in the outro. I'm Joy Owango, and I'm the executive director of the Training Center in Communication, which is a center that's a, that is in partnership with the University of Nairobi, Kenya, and it supports early career researchers and even mature researchers in improving their research output and visibility through training. So how we're involved in open science and also open access is on the part on improving your research output, where uh, we do the training on scholarly communication. The biggest challenge in the whole research management life cycle is that it's access to, to, to data and uh, data that can be used to conduct research. So, and we noticed by having, by partnering with organizations that provide open access uh, data and information or rather resources makes it easy for the research discovery process for our early career researchers. So as a center, how we come in is that we we try and provide these open resources, open access resources to various partners. And also various partners, when I say partners, that includes even governments and also our researchers in sub-Saharan Africa. To date, we've trained over 5,000 researchers uh, in the courses that we do. And of course, with what has been going on, all our courses have been done virtually. You're doing... Uh, a lot of different things in terms of supporting open science uh, in in the African context. Why is open access and projects um, such as the Africa Archive, um, Training Center in Communication, wh why are they important in the African context? One of the biggest challenges to conducting any form of research is is access to data. And if you want to be part, if you want to, to, to conduct good quality research and also be to have a, a productive research life cycle, open science is very important because we need to be honest, it is expensive. The paywalls are so expensive that uh, early career researchers or even countries can, can, cannot possibly afford uh, the data that they have to buy. And um, if you look at if you look at since Plan S in was, was the initiative was launched in September 2018, 
there's a 44% increase in, in African researchers publishing in open access platforms. So um, this is according to Dimensions Data, which is also an open access platform. And um, about as of two weeks ago, I'm sure this is updated, uh, there are over 279,432 publications that were published from Africa. That is all 54 countries. And out of those, 124,530 were open access. So that is a 44% increase. 44% uh, of that was open access. And the demand for open access is, is, is so obvious because if you want to conduct, um, if you want to have great collaborations and have insights on the latest trends in research, without access to data, we will, we will be in the dark. So we have, for lack of better words, a fighting chance to have the slice of cake that uh, researchers in the Global North are, are, are taking advantage of when it comes to, to conducting research, thanks to open science and open access. Joy, you said yes. that you have, a, you have the fighting chance now to have a slice of the cake that the Global North has. And I'm wondering who's pushing this forward in Africa? Who are the people who are the driving force behind it? Oh, there are quite a number of stakeholders. Um, so there's Africa Archive, and then there is um, the African Academy of Sciences, um, uh, the African Association of African Universities. Uh, there are quite a number of organizations in sub-Saharan Africa that are pushing for open access because now the, the, the organizations I've mentioned, like the Association of African Universities, which is the umbrella body for all African universities have mandated that um, they are they are pushing for open science and open access. Uh, the, the the African Academy of Sciences has an open access uh, publishing platform, and of course, with what Africa Archive is doing as well as a preprint repository in in making sure that uh, open it's an open access preprint repository, making sure that African research is visible. So that is at the supranational level. Then we have institutions that are already now pushing for this as well. And the most recent one, which is quite exciting, is the Science Granting Councils Initiative, which is the umbrella body of all countries in Africa that have committed to spending 1% of their GDP in higher education and research. They have committed to, to, to pushing for open science. So this, just for context, the science granting, can, uh, these councils that have, committed to spend 1% of their GDP now act as donors, so within their respective countries. So they are demanding that the research that they fund has to be in open access platforms. So you can see the, the narrative is changing. So, and because of that, the, what needs to, to be more, uh, what needs to come out much more clearly is what open access is and what open science is, because for the longest time, it was always associated with the librarians and it's understandable, but it needs to be, the narrative on open science and open access needs to come out much more powerfully from a researcher's perspective. So it's exciting to see granting councils committing to open science. It's also exciting to see that the Africa Academy of Science is also committing to open science or even the association of um, African universities. So these are some of the organizations that are heavily in pushing for African or open access in the continent. Okay, so we have it from the one side, we have it from the organizations, the higher education organizations themselves, and also from fund, 
supporting it through funding. Yeah. Okay. Implemented. So what exactly does that mean, having an open access policy? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I've, <always had> to... <laughs> uh, I've also asked myself that because I think they'll be the best people to, to tell us, the Ethiopians, but from... In my opinion, it is exciting, number one, it's really exciting. But then, you see, we need to ask ourselves why some people choose not to publish in open access pub publications and uh, what will be the effect of that when you have a nationwide open access policy. Because the unfortunate reality is that some of the major titles that exist are still under paywalls, except, well, the good news with nature is that by 2021, they are going to be full open access. That was according to a press release on their, on their website. But most of the other major titles are still on paywalls. So as much as it is exciting to have the, open, the national open access policy, we need to see to what degree are they demanding it to be open? Are they demanding research to be open access? So, as I said, it's it's that is open to discussion because it it is an exciting moment, but then there are still a lot of questions in regards to how that would be managed. Also, when you look at it from a policy perspective, when the government is is creating collaborations, international collaborations. The, the governments that they choose to work with and the institutions that they choose to work with, whether they are donors or not, know where they stand. So it means that from the, the Ethiopian researchers have a higher chance to have their work uh, visible, that is number one, and also it would be easier for the government of Ethiopia to invest in open access infrastructure as compared to other countries, or maybe even get funding for to create those uh, open access infrastructural systems. So they, they are well-placed. There are exciting bits about it, but then there are also aspects on, on the challenges that may come with a, a, a blanket open access platform. But it, because it wasn't quite clear what it entailed, other than the excitement that this was a new open, it was, it's a new policy on open access. Changing, because when you see a government spending 1% of their GDP in, in higher education, that's quite a, a chunk of it. And some of the countries in Africa have actually met those, have met that threshold. So I, it's also an issue of awareness on why it's in, essential to, to, to have open access solutions. And also, hold on, let's not just talk about open access. It's good quality open access solutions. Because the fact that now we are spending a percentage of our GDP in our respective countries on higher education and research, we can we also have we're in a position to we, we are in a position to have an element of sovereignty on what should be sent to us. Because for the longest time, the kind of information that was open access and sent to Africa was more like, you know, a developmental, um, for lack of better words, uh, situation. Because, yes, higher education falls under de the development sector, used to fall under the development sector. So this was like a donation. And if you looked at what was being provided, even as open access, was old data. As much as, yes, we, we appreciate that we had that data, you'll find that the data that we were getting was either two or three years old. 
So it's also an issue of just not open access, but good quality open access information. And that is where now trend, the trends are right now. Because if you look at the kind of open access solutions that are available in the global north, they are yet to trickle into the global south. So it is that awareness on the various kinds of open access infrastructures uh, set in place, uh, the publishing houses, uh, and then also creating the awareness that this is the way to go and in supporting uh, researchers in improving their research output and visibility. Joy, do you think you could expand that a little bit about the differences between the Global North and the Global South? Okay, so let me give an example. Last year, there was this major conference on scientometrics in Spain. Uh, the International Conference on Cybermetrics and Scientometrics, hosted by the International Society of Scientometrics. All right? And the ISSI conference, it was held in Spain. Do you know they had everyone from Europe, and they were talking about um, open access in Africa, and there was no representation in Africa, from Africa. Yes, I think <laughs> everybody having a tired sigh, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, there was another conference, uh, I've forgotten the name, but research to something, but on, on e-resources, now this is the irony of it all, e-resources for researchers in the global south, and there was no representative from, south, from Africa. Now, what you see, the reason why I'm getting upset about this is because when you look at this, some of these conferences, it, it, they present the latest open, the, the, late, the latest technologies in higher education and technology, especially when it comes to open, uh, when it comes to research discovery processes. And all those who have produced open access solutions are there. So like, like uh, there is this new solution called Core, which is by one of the universities in the UK, which just recently partnered with JISC, and they have over 20 million users. That is open access. On this side of the world, we do not know about it. I know about this because I'm, I'm familiar with the landscape in, in scientometrics and also in research discovery solutions. There is a meta by, uh, by the Chan Zuckerberg Foundation, which is on uh, um, biomedical sciences, with over 67 million records, which is open access. People on, the side, on our side of the world are not familiar with it. Science open, digital science uh, solutions like dimensions data. These, these are quite a bit of solutions that exist. But then what we have in the global south, and this is something I literally go through in all, and I, I kid you not, literally all the countries that I go to in Africa. And you mention any of these solutions I have listed, no one is aware of them. But if you mention, well, we have research for life solutions. Yeah, everybody's excited. They know about it. But if you look at some of the data in those solutions, they are outdated. So the sovereignty of the kind of data that is sent to, to this side of the world needs to be checked. It needs to be up to date. So when somebody in the global north is saying, oh, yes, uh, these are the latest on... This is the this is the latest these are the open these are the latest open access citation databases somebody has access somebody is aware of it from our side or not only citation databases but bibliographic databases and also uh, scientometric platforms because there are quite a number of open access scientometric platforms in the global north that we are not aware of in the global south so that need of awareness is extremely important so that we are on the same level. If it is open access, it needs to be completely democratized, you know, both in the global north and in the global south. 
Is that yeah. have to do with being unaware of it because it's not communicated because there's not a good communication going on? Or is it that the access is not guaranteed in the same way? No, it's the communication and the awareness. That is, that is what um, I'm, 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 I'm noting. It's, it's the, the awareness, the lack of communication, but also the limited access for researchers in the global south to know what is going on in the global north. So in the, that's why I gave this example of these two conferences, which are on scientometrics and bibliometrics, and they're looking at it from a global north and global south perspective, but you don't have representatives from the global, soul, global mm -hmm. south. So in a way, COVID has actually leveled the plane because not all of us can afford to go to Europe to travel, so we can do this virtually. And this is something we had been pushing for, because... With, from the global south, we've been pushing for conferences to be done online so that we can contribute to, to some of these conversations instead of it being done, you know, uh, in, in, in London or, or whichever European country. And we still do not know what is going on. And what is brought to our side is, oh, yeah, by the way, this is a gift for you to use, you know. So we need to be part of that conversation. So things are slowly changing. First of all, in creation of awareness, and now we are actively getting, we are, being, we, are, we are part of these conversations as well. Because, okay, sorry, before I forget, and here's the other thing, which is also annoying. With all these concerns of, of lack of awareness, so the same solutions will come into Africa and still not have African representation in terms of research output within those same citation databases. So you see, something like African Archive makes so much sense at this point because now it's collating the research that is coming out of, from Africa. And then we also have a bibliographic database known as African Journals Online. And so when, you, when some of these databases come into Africa and they still do not index African information, it's still, it's a lose-lose. Do you understand? So they're having conversations in the global north, not including us in the global south. Then they come into the global south with the assumption that we, our work is in their platform. No, it isn't. So they have to start from scratch and create those relationships. And that is why I'm saying COVID has really helped in leveling. You know, that's how we've been getting data. We're just going to give you whatever is there. You know, you're going to give you the dredges of what is there. I mean, really, I, I, I say this, I'm not being flemic about it, but I have literally gone through some of the data that, that has been given to us, which is free. And in, in Osman's word, it's, it's, he's right. We'll give it to you just simply because it's there. Because when you look at that data, it is, it is not as helpful as how you'd expect it to be. So you'd find yourself still trying to buy data. So we are at a stage right now, which I'm really excited about that, Right now, with the open science and open access, we are also at a, at a stage where we, we have some level of sovereignty on what we can, we can accept in terms of open access data. And this is quite interesting because with the governments that I've approached, I've approached about 15 or 20 African governments. And when we tell them that, oh, yeah, we are going to share with you, provide you with open access data, the first thing they ask is, I swear to God, is what's the catch? what's the quality and that is something you don't have had before you know before it would be oh we're excited it's open science but right now it's what's the catch and what is the quality and i like that and that moving forward 
as we are going to be part of this, um, as we are part of the open science and open access movement, we also need to demand good quality data that is also being shared. This is now, this is changing right now. As I said, with the rise of the granting councils, it's, it means that the kind of discussions we are having with researchers, okay, fine, in the global north, <laughs> uh, will, will mean that we also have to protect our data as well, because we also contributing before, before we were just contributing maybe infrastructural support, but now we also contribution financial support to, to research processes as well. From an African perspective, when you tell someone about publishing, the first thing they'll tell you, oh yeah, it's just a clique of, you know, it's a, a group of guys from, sorry, the global north who have to come together and publish or they have to work. You need to know someone in the global north so that you can get into a good journal. Now that with, with now that we have open science, the floodgates have opened. It's not that we were not doing research. We were doing research, but it was it was difficult to get into some of these platforms. We were always looking and waiting for an opportunity, and the opportunity has risen. And this is why in the beginning, when I was when I was sharing with you the output in the last two years, as of two weeks ago on African research, we've produced 249,000 papers, okay? That is 54 countries. We could do better, but the exciting thing is that out of that, 44% of it in the last two years is open access. So everybody is deliberately making their work visible. So, so the, the trends are really in our favor, to be honest, they're really in our favor. So platforms like, African journals online or Africa archive, they are so, they're, they're right on the mark in, in, in supporting African research in increasing its visibility and also in, in, in increasing its visibility. So you mentioned that the African archive is really a leading partner or a leading way for open science. And I was wondering if you could maybe talk about that from a researcher's perspective. Oh yeah. Um, from a researcher's perspective, because uh, the, the kind of work we do at, at the training center is that we, we work with those research, early career researchers, especially when it comes to uh, the scholarly communication perspective. And you can see how the aha factor comes in immediately after this person has gone through his research discovery process, he's writing his paper, and it's what's next? Where do I start? And do I have platforms to, are there platforms for me to, uh, to, 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 to present my paper, to present my research? And Africa Archive has actually bridged that gap. It has literally bridged that gap because it means, first of all, as a researcher is, is looking for a place to publish his work, the, his paper is already, is already being seen within the, the archive. Okay, and people can cite it or people can download it. And at the same time, it means that his work is getting much more visible than if it was just on his computer as he's looking for other for, for journals to publish his uh, to accept his his uh, his work. So the, the most important thing that I'm seeing coming out of Africa Archive is that it has managed to bridge the gap post during the process of the scholarly communication, whereby it gives the it answers the the what's the next step. For, for an early career researcher in, in the process of academic publishing. So you've done your research, you're writing your paper, and then how do I start this process? 
how am I going to identify journals? Where will I, which, which platform will help me make my manuscript available? So um, Africa Archive has successfully done that. It has definitely done that. And that is just not only for papers because it's a repository. So you can put great literature there. So it means that African work is visible. Research done by Africans or researchers who've come to Africa and done uh, uh, research on this continent put their work on the platform. Kind of what do you see as the future for open science mm. and open access in Africa? What's your next steps? What, you know, kind of what do you see as the, the, the landmarks on the horizon? For me, for me, it's the sovereignty of, of um, and it has already started, the, the sovereignty of data, meaning owning our data and questioning the quality of the data that is coming into the, into the continent, as long as it's open. is if The mere fact that it's open access doesn't necessarily mean that it's good quality. So we are, we are at that stage. Um, also, the increased visibility of African research, the increased visibility of African research, and also being, actively, being active contributor, contributors to to research with partners in the global north so the narrative is slowly changing and i believe it's going to be stronger in the future because there are so many things that have happened right now in the continent that clearly show that we are able to hold our own if we are given the right systems to work with and open science and the spectrum around it surrounding open science is one is one indicator that supports the, the reality that if we have a, as a good system and if we have that within uh, the the continent, our research will be visible. So at the end of the day, open the, the future of 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 open science in Africa will give us an opportunity an opportunity to 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 hold some some semblance of sovereignty of the work that we do and the and the ownership of our data as well. It was fantastic to get Joy's perspective on those issues. Um, as we said in the beginning, it was unfortunate that we couldn't include the audio from the two other guests we talked to, Osman and Joe. Um, Osman raised some really interesting points about how problematic the terms global north and global south are um, and some of the, the biases that are inherent in uh, open science platforms, and which also Joy covered as well. Um, and his kind of hope for the future was that open science would increase uh, the ability for uh, African research development as a, as a whole and increase um, collaboration between African researchers. Um, and Joe uh, really went into a bit more detail about the Africa Archive, how it came about, how uh, they developed it with the help from the, from the Center for Open Science and you know, how um, it actually works in practice. Um, so I'd really encourage our listeners to download the transcript. It's available via the show notes um, and take a look at some of those points because it really rounds off the the, the conversation as a whole. I, I totally agree. I've seen various things on social media where people 
are trying to um, argue for treating people uh, better and more fairness in science, more fairness in academia, but they're using terms that are actually really problematic. As I said, Osman raised, you know, global north, global south, developing world, developed world, these kind of things. And it's it's really difficult because you 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 want to raise awareness about these things, you want to fight back against these things, but at the same time you don't want to be um using terminology or, or uh, raising points that are actually just making the situation worse. Um, so I think it's, it's, I think the best thing to do is to give a platform, give a voice to the people who know about these things and let them tell us instead of trying to, um, you know, uh, dictate the terms of this change that we want. Joy raised also the point that there is a lack of awareness in Africa, for example, for certain solutions that have been created in, I'm using here parentheses or quotation marks, the global north, um, but also that these solutions are not being created globally. So therefore, if we're not including everybody in the dialogue of how we're creating platforms or tools or solutions, and we're not disseminating that information on a global level, it's still a very regional open science is then still very regional. Yeah, it, it becomes uh, another tool of Western, whatever that means, privilege, um, rather than something that truly democratizes uh, science as, as a global movement, as you say. Yeah, um, I totally agree. Which is really interested, be, interesting because it's not that these tools are not open and accessible for everyone, right? It's just that there's not an exchange or a communication or a dissemination um, between people that are all actually working towards the same goal. So I think if, if there's one thing that I'm taking from this message is we need to think as open science advocates more globally. I think we need to think about open science as a, a social and cultural movement, as well as simply a um, kind of, practical one um so it's very easy i think as as open science advocates to get caught up with the uh minutiae of of you know data management or or um open access journals but i think it's important to keep that big picture in the back of your mind and that big picture is that everybody in every country has a right to access knowledge and that is is not just a principle in terms of, of science, but it's a principle in terms of um, society and the world that we want to live in. I totally agree with you. But even if you don't want to look at it in that aspect, if you even just want to look at it in the aspect of trying to make science better, then yeah. the same applies. Yeah, absolutely. How can you have the best science if you exclude huge percentages of, of research? Um, because that, you know, again, access. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the best research is done when the most amount of talented people can uh, contribute. And so it's not about that we're staying in the normal path and talking to the same <laughs> people that we continuously always talk to, but that we're including people on a global level. Yeah, absolutely. And that um, trying, and, and Joy also raised the point of how COVID is leveling the playing game because now conferences are happening online. And that's actually a really sad thing that we have to have a pandemic for that 
to happen. It should be something yeah. that we, from the beginning, as human beings, are working and striving towards including. I think that's really, for me, the word, it's including. It's not excluding. It's including everybody that has a say and that can contribute to something. And I mean, we are in a state in our world where we have a lot of problems going on. And science is, at least in my opinion, and I can imagine in almost anybody's opinion who's listening to, the biggest hope we have to solving these problems. So we need to start including everybody in the discussion. And we need to start broadening our idea of where we disseminate and who we communicate with. There is bias going on. There's racism going on. There's exclusion going on. And it's a difficult conversation and it's a difficult dialogue. And somehow I think we have to go pass through it. And it is also with making mistakes because not everybody is sensitive to everything. I mean, the fact of saying global North and global South, that is such a common, normal way to think. And of course, every time we still think like that, we are creating exactly this difference that is part of the problem. I think it's like with a lot of things in life. I think if you put your hand up and admit what you don't know and what you what mistakes you've made, then everybody can move on. Um, I think it's either saying nothing or um, just unwillingness to learn. I think that slows the whole process down. Um, so, yeah, I think people should speak about this. And if you use the wrong words and you say the wrong thing and someone corrects you, then just admit to that and try and do better in the future. Well, I would say thank you guys for the nice conversation. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon. You can follow us on Twitter at OOSP underscore Orion Pod. You can also email us directly at Orion at MDC Berlin.de. We'd love to hear from you if you've got any suggestions for guests or um, if you have uh, you want to be on the show yourself, do let us know. Sound mixing is done by Paolo Elevira and the music is composed and produced by Fabio De Miguel. The podcast is part of the Orion Open Science Project, which is an EU-funded Horizon 2020 project. Uh, once again, thanks for joining us. Bye for now. Take care. Bye.